best parts of that whole thing was standing by those baskets as each teacher kind of walked up thinking, there's really something in here for me. And there was. I mean, everybody got one. And it was almost like Christmas. It was almost like, I got one. <laughs> it was like, it was so cool. I can't, I, I was getting hugs from people and I'm sitting there almost like saying, Hey, I, I don't deserve this. There's a whole bunch of people that you should be hugging, but it isn't me. Uh, but it was, it was amazing time. It was an amazing time. And that's just one of the things that we're going to do. We're hoping to do a landscaping project, include the kids in that in the next uh, month or so. We're looking to do some other things. So it's just kind of our way of just on a little by little, just saying, hey, we're with you guys. We're praying for you. We, we want you to have a great year. Because we think what you're doing is is really important. And you're dealing with kids that are just at such a risk. As I said, uh, today, or today, this weekend, is uh, the 15-year anniversary of, of uh, 9-11. And it fundamentally changed our world. And like I said, the, it changed the way we travel. It changed, you know, a whole bunch of things. Um, changed a lot of lives forever Uh, many people lost loved ones Um, it's just one of those tragic events that you just when you saw it you just didn't believe it and yet it was happening right before your eyes and you know in a a, a lot of ways uh, our life is filled with those 9-11 moments those big tragic moments and yet it's filled with those little 9-11 9-11 moments, those moments where we panic or we, uh, what am I going to do or I don't know what to think. And so we're doing this series on happiness and really what we're asking is, well, what do we do when, when those moments hit? How do we handle those situations? And I love what uh, Victor Frankl said in Man's Search for Meaning. He said this, everything can be taken from a man but one thing, the last of human of the human freedoms, to choose one's attitude in any given situation, any given set of circumstances, to choose one's own way. And I think that's absolutely true. It's your choice. You can't choose what will happen, but you can choose how you're going to respond to what's going to happen. So in this series, we're examining how we rise above the, those difficult circumstances of life. And in Paul's letter to the church at Philippi, the letter of Philippians, Paul shows us the key, the key to overcoming our circumstances, to thriving over our circumstances, is to change our mind, to change the way we think. Now, it's easy, easier said than done. But I want you to turn to page 901, 901 in your chair Bible in Philippians 4. This would be a great verse for you today, this weekend, to memorize. Uh, this is a good all-around verse that when you're ready to panic, when something pretty difficult is happening, maybe in a relationship or at work or at school or somewhere, um, this is a verse that you need to have ready in your mind or written down somewhere that you can get to very quickly. Uh, Philippians 4, 6. Let me read it to you. Page 901. Paul writes, Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, Whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worth praise, 
think about these things. What Paul is saying is very simply this. You can choose what you're going to think about. You can choose the subject matter of how you're going to think and what you're going to focus on. And basically, Paul says, change your mind. Change your mind. Change the way you think. Stop those thoughts, those negative downer thoughts. And again, I'm not trying to pull up Tony Robbins on you. That's not what I'm doing. What I'm trying to show you is from Scripture that you have to train your mind. You have to change your mind. You get to change your mind. Or let's call it this. You may be walking around tonight with a worried heart. This weekend, maybe you're walking around with a worried heart. And your language just... It just spews worry, worry, worry. Or you're angry. And you, you, everything you say is kind of angry words, angry. And you say, well, what's going on within me and within my mind, within my heart that's, that's doing that? So Paul basically say, is saying, our minds are like a bank account. And we're making deposit, deposits, we're making withdrawals. And as we make positive, positive deposits in our minds, we're going to reap an incredible dividend. But we have to make those deposits. Now, sometimes having uh, the right uh, perspective is everything. Um, what would happen in our lives, and this is really what we want to look at this weekend. What would happen in our lives if we, we began to stop from where we were when we're ready to panic or in panic mode or angry mode or whatever mode we're in and we're allowing our circumstances to kind of grind us up and we stop and say, no, wait, wait, what, what, what does this look like from heaven's perspective? What, what's going on from heaven's perspective? How can I see this from heaven's perspective? And um, that's what we want to look at. So here's what I want to do. This is where I'm going to give you kind of this lightning quick survey of Paul and what took place in his life before he wrote this letter to, to the, the church at Philippi. So you can get that because I, you'll see the context there. But let me give you this. It's going to be very quick and we're going to go through multiple chapters of the book, book of Acts. By the way, let me just say this. Whenever you read like Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Romans, those letters that Paul wrote, if you want background historical information, you go to the book of Acts. Because in the book of Acts, you see Paul's missionary journeys, his first missionary, his second, third. And you'll see him visiting those cities. And a lot of the material I'm going to talk about is out of the book of Acts. So it's important to have a historical background because then it gives you the, the idea of what's going on in that community when Paul is there. And... Uh, so let me give you the lightning quick summary of Paul's life after his first visit to Philippi. And then be, so between his first visit and his, his letter, Paul first was falsely accused of desecrating the temple in Jerusalem. He was dragged out by a lynch mob and nearly beaten to death before Roman soldiers from a local garrison intervened. They thought Paul was an Egyptian, a renegade. So the soldier's commander ordered that Paul be bound with chains and taken into the barracks. You read about that in Acts 21. When the commander, Claudius Lysias, uh, couldn't decide what to do with Paul, he sent him to Felix, the commander of Caesarea. When Felix couldn't decide after two years how to handle Paul, uh, he left him in prison for his successor, Porcius uh, Festus. When Festus couldn't uh, decide what to do, he tried to placate Paul, uh, hit Paul's accusers, by asking the apostle to return to Jerusalem and stand trial. And Paul knew that the minute he goes back to Jerusalem, he's a dead man, 
And so he basically says, no, I'm not going to do that. He refused, claimed his right as a Roman citizen, and he appealed his case to Caesar. Or basically, I'm gone, I want to go to Rome, and I want to present my case. So that's Acts 22 through 25. So several months later, uh, and a shipwreck later, <laughs> Paul finally arrives in Rome. Now, he had always wanted to come to Rome, but he wanted to come as a preacher. He wanted to come and bring the gospel to Rome, but he wanted to come as a preacher. He didn't want to come as a prisoner, but he was coming as a prisoner. And uh, he arrived as a prisoner, and he spent the next two years of his life under house arrest, awaiting the, his day in court. That's Acts 27 and 28. That's Paul. Now, in all of this, Paul chose to have a heavenly, eternal perspective on his life. He had a lot of bad things happen through these years, okay? Most of them were in prison. He had a shipwreck. That was a highlight. A shipwreck was a highlight, right? Um, we're going to see how his perspective made all the difference in the world. And, and so a couple of points I want to draw, and we're going to draw these from Philippians. What difference does a heavenly perspective make in our lives? We have a heavenly perspective. What difference does it make? Well, number one, we could see the silver lining in every challenge. Look at what Paul says on page 899. This is Philippians chapter 1, verse 12. Philippians chapter 1, verse 12, page 899. Paul writes this. He says, I want you to know, my dear brothers and sisters, that everything that has happened to me, when we just looked at that, okay? We just talked about what has happened to him. All right. Prison, shipwreck, beating, you know. Okay. Everything that's happened to me uh, has helped to spread the good news for everyone here, including the whole palace guards, guards, uh, guard knows that I am in chains because of Christ. And because of my imprisonment, most of the believers here have gained confidence and boldly speak God's message without fear. So Paul wanted to come as a preacher. He wanted to bring the gospel to Rome as a preacher. Instead, he comes as a prisoner. So it seems as though his, his mission, his desire, has been thwarted. Because he's not coming like he wants. But look at what he says. Because I came as a prisoner, because I was chained to and thrown in prison and chained to a prison guard, and that guard rotates, I have a 24 hours, I have a guard, and I'm always talking, telling them the gospel. To the, to the point that the whole Roman garrison, the whole Roman guard has heard the gospel. <laughs> Everyone in the gospel. Everyone in the Roman guard. So here he is. He's not just talking to people. He's talking to soldiers. He's talking to, and word is getting through the garrison and, and about this Paul. And not only that, because of that, he's not only preaching the, the good news to the pr- prison guard. Uh, by the way, very captive audience. They, they, they could not walk away. You know, I imagine, you know, you got Paul. Oh, man, here you go, man. It's going to be the gospel today, you know. I mean, literally, he was chained, chained up, right? But here's the other part of it. Because the believers in Rome saw Paul's diligence in bringing the gospel, they became excited and they began to share the gospel. They stood up for Jesus. They said, well, listen, if Paul's in Rome and he can preach the gospel to a Roman guard, why can't I do it? And they did. They did. They, they, they became, instead of just one preacher, it became an army of preachers. There was a whole bunch of preachers because they were all encouraged by Paul. Paul had a Roman guard. Change to his wrist for two full years. Um, the gospel penetrated throughout the whole imperial barracks. Now, God, the, the, the point we need to see is 
you would have never seen the silver lining if you didn't have heaven's perspective for Paul's life, right? You would basically say, oh, that's too bad. You know, your ministry is over. But it wasn't over. It was just starting. And God was going to use the, the, the Paul's imprisonment to spread the gospel in Rome. It just seems backwards. How would God do it? Well, this is how he did it. And he did do it. He did do it. See, God can do anything. Things we never dream. But we must maintain a heavy, heavenly, eternal perspective if we want to watch the show. The problem is we don't want to watch the show. We want to complain. We want to say, change my circumstances. And God says, well, listen, the circumstances don't stop me. It just makes the miracle much better and much more fun to watch. So look at your life and say, what is it that you say, God, you have to do this this way? There have been a number of times where I've said to God, God, I believe your will for me is to do it this way. And if you don't do it this way, then, then there's something wrong with you. And what I, what I realized at that point, it was such an arrogant statement from, by the way, I made that in seminary. I said that in seminary, so you say, well, that's not a good start, right? Um, but what God showed me six months after I had said that, or kind of had that attitude, God basically says, okay, so remember six months ago when you were saying you had to be this way, but it, I turned out and it was totally different than what you ever planned? How's that working out for you? And I'm, I was like going, fabulous. <laughs> I don't know why I even opened my mouth. And I felt like Job, like shut my mouth because I don't know what I'm talking about. But that's what God does if we're willing to stick with him and say, God, you know, you're good. You're faithful. You're my best, you know, my best in, in your uh, in your uh, power. You're going to do your be- the best thing for me. And you can work all things out for good for those that love you. And I love you. And I trust you with that. Good things happen. We could see the silver lining, but we have to have heaven, heavenly perspective. Secondly, when we have a heavenly perspective, we don't need to take personal attacks personally. Now, look at what he says in verse 15. He says, it's true that some people, some are preaching out of jealousy and rivalry, but others preach about Christ with pure motives. They preach because they love me, for they know I have been appointed to defend the good news or the gospel. The, those others do not have pure motives um, as they preach about Christ. They preach with selfish ambition, not sincerely, intending, notice, to make my chains more pay, painful to me. But that doesn't matter whether their motives are false or genuine. The message about Christ is being preached either way. So I rejoice, and I will continue to rejoice. So Paul is, is rejoicing even for people who are trying to preach the gospel for, with, with wrong motives, because he says it doesn't really matter because the gospel is going out, so I don't really care as long as the gospel goes out. Now, some of you are pretty sharp, and you go, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute, time out. In Galatians, Paul basically says if anyone preaches another gospel, he should be uh, anathema or damned to hell. What's going on here? Well, what's going on here is we're talking about somebody who's not preaching the gospel. They're preaching a false gospel. That's not what he's talking about. He's talking about people who are preaching the right gospel, but they're doing it with the wrong motives. Very different things that are going on there. So Paul rejoiced despite the impure motives of some. The good news of Jesus was being proclaimed. The message, not the messenger, is what mattered to Paul. That was the most important thing. 
Peter tells us something similar, and he basically warns us as followers of Jesus that this is the, this is the lot we have if we're going to be a follower of Jesus. It's going to be standard operating procedure. This is, we're going to have people who are going to not like us. There's going to be people that are going to attack us. And this is what he says. This is 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 12. He says, Dear friends, don't be surprised at the fiery trials you're going through, as if something strange were happening to you. In other words, he's saying, this isn't something strange. This is normal operating procedures. Look what they did to Jesus. Look what they did to the apostles. Do you think you're going to be any different? If you're following Jesus, you're going to have conflict. This is standard operating procedure. And then he says, instead, be very glad for these trials make you partners with Christ in his sufferings so that you will have a wonderful joy of seeing his glory when it is revealed to all the world. So be happy when you were insulted for being a Christian, for then the glorious Spirit of God rests upon you. Now, if you're insulted for being an idiot, well, that's, that's your fault. But if you're insulted because you're just standing up and saying, I love Jesus, you expect to get not such a good treatment. Here's what I found. And this is true of me. It may be true of you. If it's not, it's only true of me. And you can listen to me talk to myself. Sometimes we care too much about what other people think about us and not enough what God thinks and says about us. Can I say it one more time? Sometimes we care way too much about what other people think about us, but not enough about what God cares and says about us. We do. We do. How do you get past hurtful words and the, de- and the hurtful deeds of others? You think about what, is the most impor- what the most important person in the universe says about you. What does he say about you? If you're one of his children, what does God say about you? Well, he says things like this. You're my son. You're my daughter. You are loved. You are forgiven. You're my masterpiece. I have a perfect plan for you. I will take care of you. And I'm preparing a place for you so that you can be with me forever. Those are some of the things he says about you. And you listen to the enemy, and the enemy will say, you're no good. You're a sinner. You'll never measure up. You, you know, and that's not from God. That's from the enemy. See, we care way too much about what other people think and not enough what he thinks. And he's the most important person in the world. Number three, when we have a heavenly perspective, we can find hope and contentment no matter what our circumstances. Notice what Paul says in verse 19 of chapter 1. I know that as I pray, as you pray for me and, this, and the Spirit of Christ helps me, this will lead to my deliverance. For I fully expect and hope that I will never be ashamed, but that I will continue to be bold for Christ as I have been in the past. And I trust that my life will bring honor to Christ whether I live or die. <laughs> Another verse that you ought to underline in this next one, verse 21. For to me, to, living means living for Christ and dying is even better. Another translation says, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Now, was Paul suicidal? No, he wasn't suicidal. And he wasn't taking his life on earth uh, less. But because of his hope, he was not... See, what Paul is saying here is that my hope, my, my purpose, my, my, um, my uh, personality, my source of significance, all that is not anchored this side of heaven. I don't find it. This, in other words, death isn't the end to me. And my hope isn't anchored this side of heaven. Uh, my, my hope is on this side of heaven. Uh, 
you know, hope is always fleeting. And anybody who says, my only hope is here and now, and I better live for here and now, and it, when here and now is gone, I'm dead. No, they have no hope. What Paul is saying is it doesn't matter whether I'm alive or whether I'm in heaven, but my real hope is in heaven. And he basically weighs that back and forth. What's better? For, I'd much rather be in heaven with God and with Christ in heaven, but, but I need to be with you. And, and so I'm pulled either way. I have a duty here, but I want to be with God in heaven. And basically what Paul is saying is the hope of heaven is so strong. It's so strong in my heart. And one of our problems is we don't have that hope of heaven. We have hope of life right now. And when that gets challenged, uh, our world begins to fall apart, doesn't it? But when our hope is in heaven, we say, well, that's not it. This is not it. This is not the end. You know, one of the things you'll find in life is when you lean on them too much, uh, rather than God and his words, they be, they'll begin to crumble. So if you lean on a relationship too hard and it begins to go, your life falls apart. For a man, if you lean on your job and you say, I need to have this job because it gives me significance, it gives me uh, security, it gives me satisfaction. And when you begin to uh, find that slipping away, you go, who am I? I don't know who I am. And you know, you all probably know men who basically have lost their job or they've been, uh, the company is downsized or something, and they, they begin, their life begins to fall apart. What's going on there? It's all their weight is on that, and it begins to crumble. You know what else crumbles? What else crumbles is when you put all your weight on this side of heaven and you say, I must have it all now. I must have it this side of heaven. And when you start to lose it, because you go in the doctor and he says, you have cancer, you say, uh, listen, I, we, there's a lot of things to enjoy and love in this life. You have family, you have friends, you get all that. That's not what I'm saying. But if you put all your weight on it and you begin to lose your health, you begin to lose your life this side of heaven, you, all your hope is anchored this side of heaven, you're going you're gonna to get messed up real quick. But if your hope is the other side, you say, this is going to end here, but it's not going to end to everything. And I'll see you again, First Thessalonians 4, Paul says, we'll greet each other in the air. Well, there's the hope. It's anchored the other side of heaven. And it's basically what Paul is saying. Now, Paul's in chains. And he basically is praying that one day he'll be free. Well, you know what? One day Paul was set free. And it may, may not have been here on earth, but it was in heaven. <laughs> His chains came off, right? And he was free, free indeed, right? One translation puts the, and I quoted this earlier, for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. You notice what Paul doesn't say in this verse. He doesn't say for me to live is money and to die is leave it all behind. He doesn't say for me to live is fame and to die is to be forgotten. He doesn't say for me to live is power and to die is to lose it all. He doesn't say for me to live is possessions and to die is not take nothing with me. He doesn't say that. See, contentment for Paul was, had nothing to do with his circumstances. And that's a really important thing for us to understand. Our hope, if it's anchored this side of heaven, basically says we have to find everything and we have to live everything here and now because if we miss out on something this side of heaven, then, then we're doomed. But, but when our hope is anchored in heaven, we say, you know what? There will be millions and billions of years and experiences that are going to make the experiences this side of heaven look like chump change compared to what we're experiencing in heaven paul says this about contentment philippians 4 verse 11 page 901 i paul have learned how to be content with whatever i have i know how to live with on almost nothing or with everything 
let's just stop there because um, a thought came to my head just now, and maybe it'll come to my head tomorrow. I don't know. Uh, it might not. Uh, but it'll be on. Uh, there are people that have everything. They have everything this world can give them, and they're not content. Right? They just need a little more. There are people that are doing, you know, we always do this. We compare ourselves to somebody who's doing a little better than us. If I was doing just like them, that I'd be content. You know what those people are saying? They're looking ahead and they're saying, if I could just do that, then I would be content. Contentment is fleeting. Contentment is fleeting. Whether you have everything or whether you have nothing. Paul basically says, I know how to live on almost nothing or with everything. I know how to be content. I have learned the secret of living in every situation, whether it is in, uh, with a full stomach or empty, with plenty or little. So contentment is really, really here. And that's where Paul says, he says, you know, you can't change your circumstances. You can't choose what's going to happen. You can't choose what 9-11s are going to happen in your life this week, whether big or small. But you can choose how you're going to respond to those. And if you have heaven's perspective, it could change everything. It could change your whole perspective on contentment and all these other things. So what would happen uh, if we live with this heaven's perspective? What would happen? Paul says this. This is uh, jumping down to verse 27 of chapter 1. Above all, you must live as citizens of heaven, conducting yourselves in a manner worthy of the good news about Christ. And then whether I come to see you again or only hear about you, I will know that you are standing together with one spirit and one purpose, fighting together for the faith, which is the good news. Don't be intimidated in any way by your enemies. This will be a sign to them that they are going to be destroyed, but that you are going to be saved even by God himself. For you have been given not only the... No, and I read this verse last weekend. For you have been given the, not only the privilege of trusting in Christ, but also the privilege of suffering for him. We are in the struggle together. What will happen when we, you and I, each of us, lives with this heavenly perspective, this eternal perspective? What will happen not only in our lives, but in the lives of people around us? Number one, Jesus, people will see Jesus in the flesh. They will say, I finally met a Christian who truly believes what he says. They will meet uh, real citizens of heaven. A citizen of heaven is somebody who says, this world is not my home. And I'm, I, I love living here, but I'm, this is not my permanent residence. So our roots aren't so deep that when we're, re, we're rooted up, we go, well, I'm leaving. We don't hold on to anything too tight, this side of heaven, because we know it's not going to last. Except relationships. They will hear the good news of the gospel. When we live that way, they will they will be uh, warned of a future judgment that's coming. And they will come to faith in Jesus. One of the most powerful things that we could do as a Christian is not what we say, but how we live. That when circumstances come that would just flip another person's life, they don't flip our they may bobble our lives a little bit. They may shake us around a little bit, but they don't sink us. And they go, where did you find that hope? Where did you find that buoyancy? How do you, how do you rise above the circumstances? How do you do that? And the answer is, you find your hope because you have a heavenly perspective. Because you understand who loves you and who has a plan and a purpose for your life. And when you have that, 
It doesn't matter what the circumstances are. Paul says, you can throw whatever you want at me. I mean, shipwreck, beat me, throw me in prison. doesn't really matter. It doesn't change my level of happiness. Because my happiness isn't driven by my circumstance. It's driven by my mind. It's driven by where I'm going. It's where my hope is. It's, it's understanding that I'm a blessing to you as a church. And more and more people are coming to know Christ. Because I'm able to minister to you through my letters and through my presence. It's knowing that uh, I have work to do with you. And more souls are going to be in heaven because God is using me to do that. That's what it's all about. Paul closes in verse, uh, he writes in verse 12, and I want to close with this verse. He says, I want you to know, dear, my dear brothers, he says this. Notice he says, everything, everything that has happened to me, everything that has happened to me here has helped to spread the good news. Everything. There's no mistakes. There's no tragedies. There's no Oh, no, this didn't go according to plan. Basically, Paul says everything happened. It's almost like what, what Joseph says to his brothers. You meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. Everything that's happened, God has worked it out for good. And, and God isn't just doing that for Joseph. He's not just doing it for Paul. He's doing it for you and for me. But we have to put those heavenly, eternal perspective glasses on and see our lives from that. When we begin to see that, we will begin to rise above our circumstances and our minds will be changed because our perspective is changing. When our perspective changes, people are going to say, there's something different about you. What is that all about? And then you tell them about Jesus. Tell them about Jesus. Stand with me. Let's pray. So, Father, you are so good to us. We don't deserve it. Help us to have that heavenly, eternal perspective. Help, help us to anchor our hope in heaven and not here on earth. Help us to be satisfied no matter what our circumstances are that that our circumstances don't have to drive our mood and our happiness and our joy because our joy is anchored in you our hope is anchored in you help us father to rise above our circumstances as we change our minds change the way we think as we view our circumstances from the heavenly eternal perspective and as we do that father help us to be a strong witness to a world that's losing hope day by day, to a world that is not content and never will be content. There'll never be a version of the, of the, uh, the iPhone. There'll never be a version of uh, anything that will bring satisfaction. Nothing will except you. So, Father, may we be satisfied in you. May we find everything that we need in you. And we thank you that you can be our sole source of security, satisfaction, and significance. And we love you because you first loved us. And for that, we are so grateful and thankful. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.